Welcome to the Classical U podcast. I'm Jesse Hake. I'm the director at Classical U. Classical U is a subsidiary of Classical Academic Press, a curriculum and monograph publishing company. At Classical U, we provide training for teachers and parents interested in learning more about classical education, how to deliver this method in your classrooms, in your homes. I mostly spend time talking with presenters and live learning event guests, and we look forward to sharing more with you as you tune in. Thank you. David, it's great to have you here working with us this week, recording new course for Classical U. It's been fun to get to know you. Your six years at Coram Deo Academy and uh, your story coming into classical Christian education, providing leadership and um, ideas for assessing the health of schools, moving schools out of uh, the early stages where you can uh, hit stagnation and uh, moving schools into stages of thriving and growth. I would love to uh, get to ask you some questions about your own story, how you came into classical education, uh, learn a little more about your uh, graduate work and some of the background to the content that you're sharing in the course that you're recording with us. Why don't we start out with uh, a little bit about how you came to know of classical education? Yeah. Well, Jesse, it's great to be here. I know I landed last night in Harrisburg and then this morning, which I've never been to. I got to go to Pittsburgh this year for the first time. Yeah. ACCS conference was yeah, here. Yeah. I often use George Grant's Stand Fast app and he has a Christian almanac. And I told you this in the mm-hmm. car that he, what, what George Grant does, he said, this is what happened today in history. And this day in history on the, the day that we're recording was the, I think it was in the 1820s, the first ever opinion poll used in politics to see the approval rating for a president. It was the uh, the person that they were getting the polling on was Andrew Jackson. And guess where it was done? Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You've taught me something about my own city. That's I told awesome. you we were yeah. both going to be like charismatic by the end of the yeah. day. So. Yeah, clearly uh, the stars are aligning. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a standard now of American uh, political life. And it was invented here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. There you go. You guys are Thank you, map, George so. Grant. Yes. So <laughs> I got cool. into, did you ask how I got into classical yeah, Christian Yeah, how education? did you learn about classical Christian education? Yeah, the, the quick and dirty would be, I became a uh, I became a Christian in college mm-hmm. and just got caught up in the claims of the gospel and wanted to submit my life to Christ and I said I'll do whatever you want. I thought I maybe wanted to be a missionary or a pastor, but I really just loved school. So I had been a college athlete, so I loved going to class and going to practice. And so when I graduated as a new believer, I thought, well, I'll just keep going to practice and going to class. So I was a teacher coach having uh, been a student athlete, but I was really eager to share the gospel. So mm-hmm. I bought a box of uh, a book by a gentleman named John Piper. Mm-hmm. So I have a daughter named Piper named after <laughs> an old Baptist mm-hmm. preacher. Uh, <laughs> but I bought a box of Don't Waste Your Life copies and mm-hmm. I'd give them to these seventh and eighth grade boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And um, I just was, I'm still excited about the idea of making my life count for eternity. And so I was teaching Spanish in a public middle school and coaching. And honestly, I, th- I think looking back, we were talking about Jonathan Edwards today. Yeah. John Piper, obviously a big fan of Jonathan Edwards. Uh, 
just really wanting to have a God entranced vision of all things, mm-hmm. including education. And so over time, I would say I got disenchanted with public school because it was basically the factory model of education. And I was teaching Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so I was teaching 17 year olds how to count to 10 and mm-hmm. say Amarillo, Rojo. <laughs> it wasn't the dream of teaching. It was, the were, dream yeah. had met reality. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed coaching. And I had begun doing my MDiv um, at Southern Seminary, and I just was so elevated by studying God's Word deeply in theology. And I think that reading Don't Waste Your Life and kind of coming in secondhand contact with Jonathan Edwards, I really started to think differently about kids. Yeah, These aren't just like bags to be filled or pencils to be sharpened, but these this is divine clay to be molded. And so... I would say my anthropology started to develop mm-hmm. and I started to see that teaching Spanish to high schoolers didn't actually help them with Spanish. I had been involved with Young Life and Campus Crusade and saw varying degrees of fruitfulness, but it's actually when I really went deep in Christian education that I saw, oh wow, this this partnership with parents and prioritizing discipleship was so gratifying. So really, it was that first year teaching, handing out, don't waste your life, mm-hmm. getting in contact with Jonathan Edwards, and then really starting to think, well, how does the Lordship of Christ apply to education? And for me, that answer for the past six years, and hopefully many more, has been in, in classical. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a helter-skelter answer. No, uh, that's great. You mentioned over lunch the... Um, you know, as an athlete. And, and where do we go for lunch? I think it's important the audience knows the name of this restaurant. Um, this is a restaurant that may be the hardest thing to find by Googling it because the name of the place is Sandwich <laughs> <laughs> here in Harrisburg, but they do have good sandwiches. Yes. And uh, straightforward, uh, you can't ever, you know, accuse them of, uh, you know, false, mar- false meeting, marketing or something. The meeting where the owners are like, what would you, what should we name it? And they're like, let's just call it Sandwich. Let's just call it Sandwich. Well, they make good sandwiches. Yep. The uh, you mentioned something that struck me, you know, as an athlete, um, and and you talked about in musical training and athletic training, you know, there's a regimen set out, and there's an agreed upon order, uh, and it kind of it dawned on you, and struck you as you're reading some of the uh, books, Doug Wilson's book, Lost Tools of Learning, and others. Why why do we have such a big hang up about this idea, you know, when we're when it comes to forming our minds? Um, is that uh, Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, this yeah, me yeah, a yeah. Great, a great so way at, to talk at about lunch. It. I had just made the observation that my experience, and, and and I have, you know, the gentleman that led me to Christ teaches at a public school, so I want to be as charitable as possible and and evaluate things as they really are. Mm-hmm. But my experience had been in, in public schools in Indiana that the the curriculum was 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 student centered. I think that was a fair summary, which means that there wasn't a coherent. Uh, program that was building upon sequentially over time. Mm-hmm. Yet when I coached athletes and we did weightlifting and strength training, there was a really clear program for multiple years for strength training, right. for building speed, for, you know, I, I coached baseball for building arm velocity. There, yeah. It was sequential, it was coherent, it was cohesive, but that wasn't at all how yeah. the public school curriculum was with so much vocational job training and electives. It was like more pick your own adventure yeah. or like Helter a buffet. Yeah. But it's like that buffet approach, you wouldn't let an Olympic athlete do that. Mm-hmm. And so I found when I read Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning by Douglas Wilson and then other books, 
I that idea of the grammar stage, the logic stage, the rhetoric stage, uh, there's more ways of describing classical than that. But that really resonated with me because I liked to learn and yeah. I like to grow. And so I could see a clear course or pathway. You know, our word for curriculum is, you know, the same as course, right? Yeah. And so I thought, wow, I could see a pathway forward in classical. And so when I moved out of teaching Spanish in public schools to being able to teach different subjects in a classical setting, it was so intensely gratifying immediately. Yeah. Because I thought, oh, this is great. <laughs> and I found, I remember seeing a quote recently that kids actually want a strict teacher more than they want a, an affirming, happy, clappy mm -hmm. teacher. And I think when kids come to school, everybody loves to learn. Not everybody loves schooling per se and that structure. But I think if you're going to be there, you might as well be in an environment where you know what you're going to get, mm -hmm. even if you're kind of an entrepreneurial, innovative type. And so I've just loved the clear vision and the structured pathway mm -hmm. that you see in classical schools. There's a coherent, cohesive philosophy that builds sequentially upon one another over time. And anything that has lasting growth is cumulative and it's incremental. And so I see that in math and science in literature and composition like for mm -hmm. example the the progem mm -hmm. what how do you pronounce that word by the name progymnosmata yeah progymnosmata and so <laughs> yeah. i was saying it wrong but just those preliminary exercises yep. that build so sequentially so when i first got into classical that was my intro yeah through institute for excellence in writing and andrew yep. pudwa's content and I'm like, why would you teach writing any other way? Mm -hmm. Like, this is so clear. And there's such good fruit with the students that I worked with. Yeah. And so, I don't know. It's like anything where you have a great first experience, it can hook you quickly. Yeah. Uh, I would say that was my experience coming into classical. Great. What are um, some words of wisdom for, you know, other teachers? You, you kind of surprised yourself in your own story. It sounds like, you know, weren't planning on becoming a classical school teacher, but now you've been uh you know around the classical renewal classical christian renewal for a while um worked at a couple different levels i've been head head of school for six years now uh words of wisdom you know what are some things uh, that classical christian education does well what are some stumbling blocks particularly i'm thinking practically you know imagine the young the young uh, you know like a college student who's graduating thinking, do I want to give a try, you know, teaching at a, at a classical Christian school? What are some things you would say, yeah, this, these are great reasons. And then these are, these are some things to you know, be aware of. Uh, yeah. What's well, funny. We've uh, obviously as a head of school, I've been doing a lot of hiring in the spring mm -hmm. and summer and uh, the contribution that I try to make to the hiring process with you. We have a great team at Quorum Deo in Indiana, but I try to talk people out of coming to Quorum Deo Academy by just naming like, here would be a good reason not to come. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like this, you would hate working here. And so different things like that, I think, uh, can be really helpful if God's really calling someone to a classical Christian school. So I would say, you know, one way you might know that you shouldn't work at a classical Christian school is that you don't really want to think that much. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not like, you don't need to be like a college professor to be a kindergarten teacher, right? Mm -hmm. um, and lower school positions are a little different than upper school, but there is such a love for learning in mm -hmm. classical in the school that I'm at compared to the other four schools that I worked mm -hmm. that it's like, you notice when you walk in the door 
how the teachers talk at, at lunch, um, just the sort of books are, that are on their shelf. The, the books that people have read during their application process, I'm always like, wow, this is, this mm-hmm. is so different than when I was just in a regular Christian school and a public school. So you might not want to work at a core, at a school like Quorum Deo or any of the other great classical Christian schools if you don't like to really go deep in mm-hmm. reading and learning. If your own reading list isn't uh, continually. Inactive. I would say this, yeah. the second is classical Christian schools are pretty countercultural. Mm-hmm. And so they're, you know, there's different ways you could describe classical, but maybe historic mm-hmm. or traditional. And so if you love giving kids candy and stickers and like moving their clothespin on a chart, I'd be like, do not come. You will just hate it mm-hmm. because you'll think they're so backwards. Mm-hmm. And so God had been preparing me to have a more timeless approach because I was disenchanted with some of the factory model mm-hmm. of education. But then, then, and then third, if you don't want to get close to parents, do not come to a classical Christian school because the, the model, even though it's, it's lived out imperfectly is that you're partnering with them, mm-hmm. that the parents are the primary educators, which if you've had your straw and John Dewey's milkshake, that's a, that's a foreign mm-hmm. concept to the kind of utopian progressive vision. Mm-hmm. That, Where teachers are almost a kind of savior and, and a really, you know, extreme yeah. version of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an interesting thought. I, I, I'm going to quote someone. I've not read this book, uh, <laughs> and I might get in trouble quoting him, but Rush Dooney mm-hmm. has a book called The Messianic Character of Public Education. Mm-hmm. And man, I went through a program called Indianapolis Teaching Falls, which is the same as Teach for America. And man, I thought that I was God's gift mm-hmm. to these these you know these different schools initially, and had this idea that education had this salvific component to it mm-hmm. for these high needs communities and it was i was probably a plague on them the first few mm-hmm. years i was in education you know i had to become disillusioned a little bit before i realized oh i'm i'm an instrument i'm a crooked stick and if there's anything straight coming for me it's because of him so mm-hmm. you are right that oftentimes the the at least the philosophical component components can assign a salvific or messianic mm-hmm savior complex to some of the teachers so so partnering alongside parents is uh, sort of number three on something you gotta yeah. be ready to do and those would be you know i'm do, thinking you know. of like younger teachers coming out of a because i mean the number of programs that are classical and they're bent yeah even christian schools uh preparing people to teach is really uncommon yeah um what um we were talking earlier today as well about how Jonathan Edwards kind of provides um, a way into uh, contact with uh, older Christian tradition. And, um, you know, America is a young nation, we're um, a Protestant nation predominantly, and uh, classical education sometimes, you know, looks and feels very uh, old-fashioned, even medieval. Um, you know, you read a lot of Catholic theologians and... Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is some common ground as far as kind of the Christian faith between, um, you know, Reformed Baptists, uh, Presbyterian, um, in terms of um, things that we share um, with Jonathan Edwards being kind of a, a touch a touchstone for you? It sounds like that was a formative yeah. part of your own 
reading and background? Well, the I would say someone like Charles Spurgeon has probably had a, a bigger impact, but Piper, John mm-hmm. Piper, has introduced me to, to Edwards. It's funny because a lot of the parents that enjoy classical probably aren't that theological. Mm-hmm. They, they come more from the devotional aspect. They just love to see the love the teachers mm-hmm. have for Christ and for their kids. And so um, I definitely have that in me, my backgrounds in crew and young life. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I did my doctorate at a seminary, at the end of the day, I, I really value classical insofar as it promotes discipleship. Mm-hmm. Now, I do love theology and intellectual history and ideas. So I would say with Jonathan Edwards, it's so funny. He's one of those backwards Puritans. Mm-hmm. Uh, C.S. Lewis, didn't he talk about that? Like one yes. of the great, yeah. well, it's his comment about the success of uh, Satan with Puritans. Oh, I think it's from yeah, Screw Tape yes, Letters, right? Yeah, it's ringing a bell. I wouldn't be able to but it was it exactly. But yeah, this they, idea of being a ter- <laughs> sort of terrible reputation. Yeah, but, puritanical yeah. and yeah. backwards and slaveholding, yeah. and rather than uh, illuminating the uh, their higher angels, yeah, uh, it's kind of like the Scarlet Letter. Yeah, that sort yeah, of right. approach that stereotype to stereotype. That's uh, pretty. Yeah, but I think Jonathan Edwards. I'm not a historian with with Puritanism, but he he has this like. Puritan devotional piety. Mm-hmm. Charles Spurgeon had that as well. But the interesting thing about Jonathan Edwards, he's probably the greatest philosopher in American history. Mm-hmm. And so he's known for that sermon centers in the hands of an angry God. But there's so much more, more to, to Edwards. Like yeah. in a public school history textbook, that might be all you get with a picture of John Edwards dangling a spider over a fire. Right, right. And, um, I would just say his warm piety as well as his engagement with mm-hmm. philosophy and, mm-hmm. and specifically enlightenment philosophy. Mm-hmm. And so he really, I think, is not one of those. I feel like as Christians, you either withdraw from culture or go to war from with culture. Mm-hmm. And you have one of those bents rather than just like being a faithful witness. And yeah. so I think Edwards... Um, you know, he was a pastor for a long time. He basically gets exiled from his from his church. Mm-hmm. He goes and he's a missionary, I think, to the Stockdale Indians. Yeah. And then for six months before he died, I think he was the, the president of Princeton. Mm-hmm. And so he's a pastor, a missionary, a professor. Fully engaged. Fully yeah. engaged, just as a faithful witness. Yeah. And he yeah. would engage in a, you know, the, the intense debate he was in was over the Lord's Supper mm-hmm. and whether you should give it to people who he considered to be unregenerate. Mm-hmm. And um, I just love this idea that I'm going to engage with ideas, but also love people. And so Jonathan Edwards, I think every area of his life, he was trying to submit to the glory of God. I'm not a Jonathan Edwards scholar at all, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I've been helped by what little yeah. I've read of him. I have his two volumes on my shelf. So that makes me feel like I'll get there eventually it, uh, it, you have a kind of communion with authors just uh having them nearby and in, in, you know in the books that yeah i mean his his uh his insights into augustinian uh you know the well-ordered loves uh really bring um a whole long history of uh, medieval thought well in, i think into, i'm trying to get at something i wonder if you can help me here i i don't like this secular sacred divide yeah yeah and so how, how, in your mind, how does classical demolish that, that mm-hmm. wall between, you know, I, I go to my youth group right. and right. I'm engaged in a small group and I hear a good yeah. 
sermon or engage in the sacraments or whatever. Yep. How do you think what we're trying to do in this movement is is lifting the veil, if you yeah. will, or tearing yeah. down the curtain? I think it is, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've heard sometimes people uh, in intellectual history or theological history specifically have compared um, the old you know, conversation that Christians used to have about reading the pagans um, to our current kind of split between sacred and secular. Uh, so that we kind of, uh, you know, separate the world into two halves. This this part doesn't have anything to do with God, and this stuff over here is God's stuff. Um, of course, all of creation, you know, is God's, all truth is God's truth, and uh, Edwards is a great example of that. And it's, it is partly that fully, you know, that full engagement um, that you're talking about. Um, but classical Christian education insists it goes back to that conversation about pagan, you know, pagan literature, and says, "No, we are engaged with all mm-hmm. of um, all of the good stuff, whether it's coming from pagan sources or explicitly, you know, our own scriptures and our own teachers. Um, we're engaged with all teaching, and that was a stand that wasn't a given. You know, even mm-hmm. those who advocated for it uh, historically, like Basil and you know many others, Augustine himself." said, you know, this isn't, uh, it's not all good. Like, you have to be discerning, and uh, you don't take it all with, you know, uh, <clears throat> with a kind of uh, naive, you know, reception from the pagans. But the pagans have a lot to offer. They can yeah. teach us, and we need to sit at their feet and learn um, with a, you know, a good Christian, uh, a more mature Christian beside us uh, to help us with that discernment process. But that is something then, like, that's an old conversation, an old lesson that um, classical Christian education advocates for those who were giving that answer around paganism. And I think that actually reinforces uh, the lesson for today that is our own problem, our own hang-up, which is this very strong tendency to, to think of the world in terms of sacred and secular. And, you know, our church-state, uh, separation of church and state, there's several things that are kind of institutionalized in America that reinforce that for us. Uh, but it shows up, you know, even in our kind of attitudes toward Sunday. And, you know, you, you this is when I go to church and, you know, do my God stuff. And then, you know, I go to work and uh, most of the people in, in – Sadly, in, in uh, you know most American workplaces now, uh, be a lot of uh, you just assume that it's it would be root, you know, to in any way sort of represent yourself as serving yeah. Christ in your workplace, those kinds of things. So one of the, one of the best compliments I've ever heard about the school that I'm at is someone from a kind of big box Christian school yep. came to the school that I'm at and. Uh, just randomly, the dad texted me, here's a list of differences between this school and Quormdale. Mm-hmm. And one of them was the the degree to which Bible was evident in all of the different content yeah. areas, yeah. which was really encouraging yeah, to absolutely. see. And I think that has a little bit to do with the curriculum, but a lot to do with the sort of people that are attracted yeah. to this movement yeah. is just the, the Sunday, Wednesday approach to discipling kids is wholly inadequate when you consider... Deuteronomy yeah. six, and when I'm sitting, and when I'm yeah. standing, when I'm walking, when I'm lying down, I'm teaching them the commandments. Or Ephesians six, yep. or which is about raising children in the pi day of the Lord, or even the Great Commission. Um, my MDiv is in Great Commission studies, so if you need yep. to know, if you need advice, you can 
you can talk to me. <laughs> Not really. But I love this idea yeah. of we all need help observing what Jesus has commanded us. Yeah. And there's such normal, ordinary yeah. ways to do that. Yeah. And I just feel like we spend so much time at school that we're missing an opportunity as believers if we don't redeem the schooling aspect. So yeah, that my, is a great compliment. I mean, what that yes. said. Well, I, th- I think of uh, even Doug Wilson, who obviously can be quite controversial for some folks in classical, when he started Logos, what he would say is he, did, he didn't want two things. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to be a fundamentalist school. And I don't want it to be a college prep school. Mm-hmm. And so, to your point about pagans, is we're going to we're going to engage with the philosophic yeah. tradition starting with Plato, yeah, and we're going to engage with the literary tradition starting with Homer. We're just going to yeah track that through history, and I think it just makes people thicker. It gives yeah. them more depth and breadth and the claims of christ have more applications so yeah that's a great way to put it uh that the claims of christ have more application when you're engaging with pagan literature i mean you know um like the fact that your spiritual formation would come in a math class you know as well as a bible class and um even for the pagans, uh, the quadrivium, the mathematics, uh, music, were all about shaping your soul, teaching you to love beauty, harmonizing you, you know, your soul. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things that we would understand as a part of our formation in the image of God. And um, those, even for the pagans, they understood these disciplines that way. You know, and now we've entirely secular, you know, secularized uh, all these different subject areas, and it is almost inconceivable of us to you, imagine you know that math been, would draw us closer to God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think especially if, you know, my bent is kind of to be an achiever, and if I do this, then this will happen. So it's kind of an instrumental mm-hmm, approach mm-hmm. Um, rather than just a – approach to where which i would enjoy yeah and so i and this has taken me like the last year i finished my doctorate last year so i'd been a student since i was you know my whole life yeah so i just got addicted to school and reading like my i loved reading a syllabus and i think there's a way in which uh at worst it could be like a salvation a man-centered salvation project um but if you, if you have this works based rather than grace based, or mm-hmm. just I can behold the beauty, and I'm yeah, I, I enjoy it's contemplative. I was I have noticed in the last year I've tried to really yeah be more contemplative with observing the different things that I'm reading, and very slowly I'm like Eustace becoming undragon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is a totally different approach to you do this so you get the GPA, so you go to the school, right. so you can get the job. You have to unlearn that. It's, you, it's, yeah. it's so painful. Yeah. And yeah. you need Aslan to like scrape yeah. it and then throw you in the yeah. purifying waters. And that is a, another kind of countercultural. So you uh, – well, we this is uh, – we could go on and on. This, this is delightful. Um, but I did want to ask about your course, and, and it is connected to the Ph.D. work that you just mentioned. Um, describe a little bit about um, Ph.D. work. And I know your course name is uh, inspired by Doug Wilson's book. Uh, you're talking about the lost tools of school leadership. And yeah. uh, um, your Ph.D. work was on um, the – 
various stages in which schools can kind of get stagnated and stuck. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah. So the course is entitled Recovering the Lost Tools of Leadership, playing off the book title from Douglas Wilson, Recovering the uh, Lost Tools of Learning. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, my, my observation has been in the doctoral research that I did, I did an EDD, a doctorate of education, um, that we want to be distinctly classical and Christian in the classroom, but that's not always true in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. And so I read a book during my doctoral program that was about the business forces that reshaped the administration of public schools. So often if, you know, let me try this on you, Jesse. What's the opposite of classical education, the classical model? Uh, progressive education. Okay. Factory model. Factory model. There yeah. you go. And so if, if well, how do you think the factory model of education infiltrate? Because schools were classical. Mm-hmm. But how did they adopt the factory model? What was their, how did the barbarians invade? What was their strategy? Well, you start, um, you start counting, you know, you start looking for data points, uh, and it's all about, you know, just a kind of numeric uh, evaluation of how time is being used, the results, and what are the, the various uh, ways to quantify yeah. results. And Exactly. So Frederick Taylor and his principles of scientific management, mm-hmm. which were all about eliminating cost and maximizing output from the minimum number of inputs. Mm-hmm. So his standardization, centralization, and bureaucratization. Mm-hmm. That's how the factory worked. And you didn't need high-skilled labor. Mm-hmm. You needed people who could be efficient. Yeah. And Just so punch the right uh, tickets in the right way. Yeah. Shape. And so I read this book on the impact of Taylorism on schools, and it just blew my mind. One of the one of the impacts of scientific management, which was not just in factories, like it was all the rage in it's like tiny houses or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These different phenomena from one industry that catch the that gain consensus in the court of public opinion. And so yeah. scientific principles of scientific management of becoming more efficient and controlling your life with a stopwatch were really were really popular in the first half of the 20th century and they were especially popular with guys like carnegie and rockefeller and vanderbilt who carnegie for example started the teacher's pension fund which if you were an administrator in higher education and you needed some money Mm -hmm. all you had to do is not be sectarian Mm -hmm. and so if you were a southern baptist denominational school but you could get a lot of money if you weren't there's this pressure now. There's yeah. this pressure yeah. now, and most people gave in. And so yeah. the the history of education, which is documented well in George Marsden's book, The Soul of the American University, is a lot of – you're going from established Protestantism to established unbelief. Mm-hmm. How did it happen? And I would say the, the influence of Taylorism, one, so these principles of scientific management where you can only – judge outputs based upon a factory rubric Mm -hmm. of outputs but also the you know carnegie for example he hated latin and greek Mm -hmm. and so if you're in a board meeting like an important meeting where you're reviewing numbers and seeing how things are going and, and and you're checking the state of the the quality of what's going on he thought that Classical learning produced a distaste for practical affairs. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so 
why would we read the Odyssey when we have workforce development issues? Mm -hmm. So Carnegie was thinking about the next 20 years, not the next 200 years. And the need at the time, the not the ultimate need, but the immediate need was workforce development. They needed people to work in the factories. And so progressively, teachers unions were disincentivizing headmasters from being statesmen and headmasters mm-hmm. but becoming business managers. Yeah. So one of the things I did was I looked at the administrative courses offered by Columbia University. Yeah. And it was so funny that they had so few administrative classes in maybe the 1920s and then by the 1930s. It's like there's 15 oh. different courses you can take to being an administrator. Yeah, yeah. So it's all about efficiency and getting the trains to run on time, but it's not about the the intellectual life. And so, yeah. again, I think there's this – parents still do this today. I have this – people do this to me today that – you know, and I'm in the Midwest, which is a little more blue collar and practical, but there's nothing more practical than ideas. Mm-hmm. Ideas are like the winds blowing in the sails that mm-hmm. it's going to affect things eventually. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we don't want to be aloof and disconnected from the day to day. But my research is, is, is trying to create immunity from what happened to our country a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. The progressive, I've been influenced by David Goodwin, who always says the supply lines of education have been controlled by the progressives for more than a century. And it's just, you don't have to do that much research to, to verify mm-hmm. that that's, that's mostly generally true. Mm-hmm. And so I love this idea that a, a classical Christian philosophy of education should be complemented by a classical Christian philosophy of leadership. Mm -hmm. And so I think that boardrooms giving into pragmatism means that to be a headmaster, who cares if you have a PhD or you are a master of certain ancient languages, we want you to have an MBA. And so we don't, we don't want you to be a, a, a professional when it comes to philosophy or theology or pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. We want you to be someone who's good with facilities, finances, and fundraising. And mm-hmm. this is, I mean, think of the by and large, what's a college president? Right. I mean, they're yeah. a fundraiser. Yeah. The, gone are the days of people like Hutchins, who is at right. University of Chicago. I believe, and worked with Adler on the Great Books Project. The idea of the intellectual statesman is no longer in vogue. And so I just love that idea of there's so many different aspects of of leadership for boards, for trustees, for headmasters. And there's no like archetypical person that should be in that role. But I, I would hope that as this movement continues to expand, these should be people that love the ideas and they're thick and they're weighed down and anchored by the scriptures first yeah. and foremost, but they, they live within a tradition and they give the democracy of the dead a vote. And so my course is much more practical than the answer that I just gave yeah, you, yeah, yeah. but that gives you some backdrop for the need that yeah. I think there's a really short tenure among headmasters and classical Christian schools. Mm-hmm. There's high turnover among boards and we really want to see both the longevity, the satisfaction, and the effectiveness of headmasters increase in the years to come. So these are just a few examples of um, ideas that motivated the course. Yep. Thank you. Um, you mentioned to me just, you know, telling your own personal story about uh, listening to Keith Nick's course, which is our uh, one course right now on this topic of school leadership, uh, kind of on repeat play back when we had an app with Classical U. Um, but uh, how, would, how would you answer the question of how your course 
Well, let me let me ask you two questions. Actually, you know, what are some of the standouts? I hope I remember both of them. Well, what uh, what are some of the standouts to you? I can repeat the second one. Um, standouts to you from Keith's course. What was helpful to you as a young headmaster? You know, six years ago. Yeah, this I was cleaning the school at that time, and mm-hmm. so the school that I've led has since tripled in size over the past five years, um, doubled the number of employees. I, w- I point back to lessons in that course a lot. I had, to be quite frank, I had no idea what I was doing. And so he gave me categories. Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, I think I almost remember them, vision, strategy, finance, board, culture, and talent. See, that's mm-hmm. how many times I've watched it. Mm-hmm. I think those are his six categories. And so he gave me kind of a lattice work or a mental yeah. model to start that I've since kind of built upon and modified names and developed my own. So he he is a great, uh, if you're a new headmaster or thinking about applying for the role and it's it's you don't really fully understand what a head of school is or what's the difference between a head of school and a headmaster, I think Keith's course is a, is a really good. And they're like six 30-minute videos. So it's mm-hmm. not... It's very accessible content that's extremely practical. So I think he's he's good. His background being in business and ministry, and then coming into education, he he's good at not getting too lost in the ideas and being really practical and knowing his audience. So I've been tremendously helped by mm-hmm. him. And then the second question I had in mind was just how um, how does your course complement you know build on uh, some of that and uh, what what's different? Yeah. So it's it's probably three times the length. And so if, uh, and and my doctorate of education is in leadership. So if you want to learn some of the more academic or intellectual load bearing ideas behind the things that he's saying, which, which he could also do as well, um, and, and does through the Gordon program, I would say I seek to imitate him and providing concrete um, tools that you can mm-hmm. apply. So I, I introduced four tools of leadership, which are producing and teaching and learning, integrating mm-hmm. and marketing and admissions, uh, entrepreneuring and fundra- fundraising and facilities. And in any list of four things, I always forget one. So there's a fourth one that I uh, didn't mention. But I would say it's trying to imitate him and being practical and giving concrete mm-hmm. tools. But I'm giving six case studies. So I did a a year-long case study of six different schools along the continuum of the school life cycle. Yep. One of them is a brand new school with about 20 students, and one of them is more than 20 years old with more than 500 students. So I do a, a deep dive for about 30, 40 minutes on each of those schools and apply the mental model that I introduce. So mm-hmm. it is uh, meant to be academic mm-hmm. to a degree and give you some thinking lenses through which you can see, but it's also giving you stories and quotes and testimonials from these different schools. So I hope it's helpful to people. Yep. Thank you. What would be the um, the next step for yourself in terms of um, your school? What are some of your, your upcoming goals and uh, objectives that you're excited about? Yeah, our school is in that really challenging yet really rewarding phase where you add the high school mm-hmm. grades. Yep. And so that has been... Um, our theme for the coming years is all in, mm-hmm. which is which is not so much about like come on, be committed, push your chips in, <laughs> uh, but it's it's more acknowledging this this idea to in order to finish our course, finish yep. what we've started, and, and I'm going to be like Sayers here for a moment. Root, shoot, and fruit, grammar, logic, rhetoric. Finish what we've started. I think the way you do that is you align. 
So mm-hmm. it's 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 less about a level of commitment and more about our head, heart, and hands being in alignment. I always use the image mm-hmm. of geese flying in V formation. Because leadership is a team sport, I like that image of distributed leadership for mm-hmm. aerodynamic purposes. So mm-hmm. you kind of switch who's in charge of the the goose flying the geese flying in V formation. You honk at one another in low mm-hmm. visibility conditions is kind of a GPS or navigation mm-hmm. system. And so the the thing that I'm really excited about is our school, which I would say is an adolescence, mm-hmm. where you're figuring out your identity and there's competing agendas, just getting, I'd say over the next two, three years, getting a lot of clarity about who God has called us to be in the Midwest. And I'd love to see Quorum Deo Academy uh, long past my, my time at Quorum Deo, which I hope to be a long time, uh, be a, an established lighthouse type classical mm-hmm. Christian school in the Midwest, which which doesn't have a ton of traction compared to mm-hmm. to say the Southeast. Um, so I'm really excited. We came we moved into a new building last year and so just filling mm-hmm. that building with with students in upper school and lower school. We are continuing to to add faculty new faculty over the, the next few years with growing enrollment. So just seeing the sorts of people that God brings, the sorts of families that God brings is really exciting and encouraging too. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for sharing with us. Look forward to sharing your course and your course will also be in a book format, um, which we're very excited about. So uh, two different ways you can take advantage of and uh, learn from David and his insights into school leadership. Thank Thanks, you. Jesse. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Classical U podcast. Please do check out our website, classicalu.com, and our teacher magazine, Altum. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations with presenters and live learning event hosts with Classical U.